0: Hello and welcome to Meeting Room 7. This is the second in the series of podcasts from the IP team at Stevens and Bolton, during which we are discussing patent licensing in the life sciences world. I'm Charlie Tillett and I'm a partner in the IP team and also head up our life sciences sector group at the firm. Um, I'm joined today by two of my colleagues and teammates um, from Stevens & Bolton IP team. First of all, we've got Tom Lingard, who is partner and head of IP. Hello. And we also have Tom Collins, who is senior associate also in our IP team. Hello. For this second podcast, we're going to move on to consider the topic of maintaining control. So we'll be thinking about how the licensor can protect and main con- maintain control over its valuable IP, which also we're thinking it may have um, licensed out to other licensees, um, whilst still allowing the licensee the flexibility and the commercial freedom it needs to get it drug- its drugs to the market and ultimately to patients. The life sciences market- marketplace, as we know, is very fluid. There's lots of movement, lots of buying and selling of products and assets uh, and lots of MA. and and the companies need to be particularly maneuverable, especially when we're looking at smaller biotech companies. So how would the parties be addressing a licensee's ability to assign its assets under the license to third parties? Um, Here we're going to split up the the discussion and look at it from the perspective of a licensor and a licensee. Tom Collins is going to speak on behalf of a licensor and Tom Lingard on behalf of a licensee. So Tom Collins, what is the licensor going to need to think about here?
1: So I think the licensor's approach will inevitably depend on the nature of the project and the parties involved. I think if it's a newcomer to the market that perhaps is licensing its technology out for the first time and it doesn't have that experience of licensing to multiple parties, it, there's probably going to be slightly more sensitivity on that license being freely assignable to lots of other people because it perhaps wouldn't have seen the issues that might come from license agreements moving around to other parties so in that kind of situation the licensor may want to be slightly more restrictive on what it allows whereas on on the other hand if you're a very long established licensor in the market it's got hundreds of licenses and Is quite comfortable with those licenses moving to lots of different people then then perhaps you might take a slightly different approach knowing that you know the reality is that those licenses do need to move around to lots of different people so that that's going to be obviously one consideration Um, but kind of taking a step back the main concern from the licensor's point of view is having control as you've touched upon and it doesn't want the technology to necessarily fall into the hands of a competitor or to a party that it doesn't necessarily have a level of trust in, in using and exploiting its technology. So it will want to have some level of control over who, who that license can move to in the future to make sure it's not giving up um, control over important, over important technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. But um, let's be realistic here, too strict an approach by the licensor may well impede the commercialization by the licensee in some cases.
1: Absolutely. And you have to be realistic with these situations that as much as you want to put some controls in place, it, it's not, it's not going to really work to, to actually restrict the movement of that license completely, given, as, as you mentioned earlier, the fluid nature of the pharma industry and the fact that there's so much m activity going on. That there needs to be an appreciation for that and to allow for a level of assignment without necessarily always having stepping rights to prevent that. So, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right um it's all it's all about striking the right balance and perhaps you might consider allowing assignment without consent to potentially to other group companies sometimes to companies that might acquire control of the company and there needs to be an intra-group reorganization of the license following that acquisition those kind of situations there might be a little bit more flexibility in allowing that assignment perhaps without any consent um but then when you talk about moving it to a completely new third party that could be perhaps in a jurisdiction where you're less comfortable with that's the type of situation where i think it's a legitimate reason to have a right to say look we want to review this party and do some due diligence so those are the kind of things that you'd be thinking about i think
0: where it's a where it's a competitor or you know another another key player in that space you need to think more carefully
1: exactly exactly um so so i think that those are going to be your main considerations and there are certain situations where you could even have lists of entities which in advance you know you're going to be comfortable with the license moving to and you could have schedules of companies that you think yeah we're, we're fine with this license moving to the following list of companies and sometimes it's well mapped out as to who the licensee thinks in the future or what categories of companies it might want to assign to so there are ways around that to, to make sure you're striking the right balance
0: yeah exactly and potentially some of these companies have a huge number of group companies so Um, certainly we've seen examples where anyone who is a wholly owned affiliate or subsidiary of a certain head company um, the licensor might feel comfortable with assignment to to one of those entities yeah absolutely okay so moving on to Tom Lingard who's going to speak on behalf of the licensee what is the licensee going to be keeping in mind here
2: yeah well I mean I think Apart from you know the the flip side, a lot of the points Tom's already mentioned, um, the ability to assign can be particularly important for for licensees and, and particularly early stage companies that might look might look to be acquired or in the scope of further investment. Um, you need to move licenses around. Of course, acquisition might not lead to a, to a legal assignment of the license, but a change of control of the company, and we'll we'll come back to that. Um, and you know even that choice can. Um, be quite important: a share sale versus an asset sale of a business can have different tax implications depending on the jurisdiction. So, all those things, you know, a, a licensee may have those in mind when it's when it's um, sketching out the scope of, of this license and its ability to assign. Um, certainly, any investor or potential acquirer is going to do DD on agreements such as this. And uh, res- overly restrictive provisions that get in the way of a deal can, you know, go to value or very much scupper a deal quite quite quickly. Um, but as we've mentioned, it's the, the the industry is fluid and collaborative, so a licensee um, should fairly argue that it's not in the licensor's interest to restrict overly the assignment of of the license because um, this will impact on the licensee's ability to take the products to market and therefore generate substantial royalties for the licensor. As a minimum, um, as you mentioned, Charlie, you'd you'd want sort of intra-group assignments to be pretty non-controversial, um, and if consent or um, notice is required to try and keep that, you know, as um, as as low uh, low key and and easy to abide by as as possible to make sure nothing slowed down and you don't inadvertently trip yourself up by failing to give notice and then inadvertently find yourself in breach of the license.
0: Mm, so you could have a tiered approach, almost whereby it's it's pre agreed that some entities um, or categories of entity you could assign to without consent, maybe just on notice, um, and other entities. Um, you will need to need to get consent for, but you've pre-agreed certain parameters, so hopefully make it a bit easier for that assignment to take place. Um, exactly, yeah. you also touched on a point, Tom, about due, due diligence, and that's something that we quite often come across in license agreements and negotiations where the licensee wants to have the freedom to show the terms or you know, even sometimes a bit more of the confidential elements. Of, it, of the license technology to a potential acquirer, or even it's the same circumstances for a potential investor. Um, and the license is obviously nervous about having to do that. Um, but you want to agree some kind of parameters so that the um, licensee can do that without having to come back um, to the, to the licensor because it's obviously quite sensitive information, potential assignments in the market. So moving on now to a slightly different area, but it encompasses many of the same points that we've already touched on, and that is the licensee's ability to sub-license its rights under um, the license to third parties. And very often we find in the marketplace that a licensee, whilst it may be very well established, um, it may be a growing entity, it may not have all the resources or the capability that it needs, um, perhaps in some or all of its jurisdictions, to Get the, get the drug to market all by itself. And it's likely to have to need to outsource some elements of development or manufacture or testing to another third party. And to do that, of course, it needs to sub-license. So from a licensor's perspective, what are the key points the is going to be keeping in mind?
1: So, so I think as we touched on in, in the assignment scenario, it really comes back to maintaining control of the IP and, and the know-how, which can potentially be the crown jewels of the company making sure that when that is to be passed on to any third parties that there's robust protections in place so you're not going to want that valuable know-how passing to the hands of an entity perhaps that has a reputation for misusing or infringing ip or perhaps it to certain jurisdictions in particular where it's more difficult to enforce confidentiality restrictions and there's the risk of that information potentially being compromised and or put into the public domain somehow so there are there are always legitimate reasons for having some restrictions over sub and at the very least even if you're not going to have a blanket refusal on sublicensing which in the same way as we touched on an assignment is is not realistic having some kind of mechanism to pre-approve is what you'd be pushing for for the licensor here whether that is a case of having some kind of pre-approved list of companies that as we as we mentioned in some that that is always an option whether that's lists of specific companies or lists of groups of companies whether that's um yeah affiliate companies or other categories of sublicensees that you may have more comfort in in allowing sublicenses to um there are all those sorts of approaches that that could be introduced to the license to to give to give that licensee some comfort that you're not trying to be unnecessarily difficult and prevent it from actually commercialising its product which as Tom mentioned, is actually not in anyone's interest. So it's just making sure you hit that sweet spot of saying, well, look, we need to have some level of control here to review and conduct some basic due diligence on the party that you want to send our IP or materials to, um, but not stepping in the way and delaying the ability of that sub-licensee to 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 get what it needs. Mm -hmm. And there are are other things that you could bear in mind with, with these situations as well, like, for example, it comes to getting marketing authorizations for products there's going to be a need for regulatory information to be shared and that is often very very sensitive and potentially trade secret type information so where perhaps you don't want a sub licensee to receive that information directly or pass that information on directly there there are ways around that for example the license or sharing that information directly with the regulatory authority to Mm. cut out that kind of passing of the information and, and loss of control
0: reduce the risk yeah
1: exactly um and i think another critical point really is when you are going to allow sublicensing, making sure that the licensee ultimately takes responsibility for the acts and omissions of those sub-licensees is, is going to be the key term that you want to include in your license because you don't have a direct contractual relationship with those sub-licensees and you are to a certain extent relying on your your licensee to make sure that it puts in place robust contractual protections and make sure it enforces those against the sub-licensee and as a licensor you do not want the burden of having to pursue sublicensees directly when you don't have that direct contractual relationship and you would obviously go as far as trying to put an indemnity in there as well and when you as a licensor suffer loss from perhaps you know the the actions of a sub but we can potentially come back to that point and um, so I, I think those are probably going to be your main considerations from the licensor's mm-hmm. point of view.
0: OK, thanks, Tom. And it sounds very much as though, depending on the circumstance, different considerations and different compromises may be reached and understanding exactly what it is that the licensee might need to do and what their circumstances are will allow a more tailored approach, perhaps, as, and as you've talked about, with some kind of levels of pre-approval, be that for certain parties or perhaps for certain countries or territories yeah. where the licensee knows it's need, going to need some assistance. Um, and even to reduce the risk of um, agreeing on what level of materials or um, confidential information as, that comes as part of the licensed package may be passed on to a sub-licensee so that you can tailor that and cut down the amount of stuff that can or will be passed on to any given sub-licensee in the circumstances. Okay, thanks. And Tom Lingard, from the licensee's perspective...
2: Yeah well a licensee is going to be looking for as much commercial freedom as possible most likely um, both in relation to sub licensing and and subcontracting. manufacturer. In addition to the points discussed already you know consider defining the criteria that will allow the the licensor to refuse consent and putting in some procedures in place to make sure that there's no unreasonable withholding there Um, and in most situations the licensee is going to probably have to accept that it assuming responsibility for the actions of its sub licensees is is fair but it will as far as possible want to limit the scope of the indemnities that it might have to give to back up those assurances so um perhaps only indemnities in respect of certain certain breaches or breach of confidence you know the more that the more limits that can be put on there albeit that it is your sub-licensee you don't want to be effectively indemnifying the entire Operation, and well, I think apart from apart from that, you know, it is it is really just the flip side of the points we've already already discussed. It's about you know understanding the need to control the technology from the licensor's perspective, but giving yourself the room to manoeuvre that you need to to keep things moving as you want to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thanks so much. And then looking at this in a reverse situation, um, in not so common a situation, but it does happen how would the parties address the possibility that it might be the licensor, which is acquired by a competitor, for example, or that the licensor will assign its patents as part of a business sale or some kind of restructuring? Uh, there's obviously different levels at which this may happen and those will lead to different concerns. I mean, certainly internal reorganizations by a licensor are not uncommon and that shouldn't it shouldn't uh, bring any increased risk to the licensee in, in that sense. So long as you know, the, the same level of technical support and knowledge is there, if that's part of the package at the license or can still be provided to the licensee, then that shouldn't cause an issue. And similarly, you know, the licensee's main concerns are presumably going to be about the license being terminated for some reason or there being a break, breaking continuity or supply. But what other thoughts can you, um, you offer here from the license or licensee's perspective?
2: Yeah, well, I suppose it's rare but not impossible that the licensee might want the ability to terminate the license on change of control of the license, or it seems unlikely, but you know, there could be competitive issues at play in that situation. Um it's more likely, as you said, that it'll be continuation of, of the flow of the rights and supply that the licensee is is looking to safeguard. Um, and so you know, potentially as part of its due diligence exercise, the licensee at the outset should try and check whether any key background licences that it may be coming, you know, passing through the the licensor, um, could terminate in the event of a change of control of the licensor. Um, if uh, the arrangement is an exclusive one, so if the, if the licensee is an exclusive licensee either by a particular territory or indeed globally, then it wouldn't be, you know, beyond the bounds of possibility for it to say that the licensor needs to seek permission or at least notify it in advance um, of any assignment because that could have quite significant implications if you're an exclusive licensee in a territory and the licensor assigns the rights to one of your competitors you don't want you know you don't want to be stuck in that situation and that might even go as far as Um, having some sort of preemption rights or an option to acquire the rights that are being licensed in those circumstances at a price which is you know no less favorable than the one that has been offered to the licensor.
1: We'd obviously agree with all of those points and I think just building on that looking at on the other side if you're a, a licensor that perhaps licenses out your technology to many many licensees around the world You're going to want more flexibility because if you are perhaps assigning rights in the underlying technology to to a third party or you're not going to want to find yourself in a situation where you have to go and get the consent of 50 or to 100 licensees to approve a transaction if particularly something needs to move through quite quickly that could end up being quite an obstacle so if it's being licensed out non-exclusively to many licensees on fairly standard terms I think if if you're thinking it from the licensor's point of view, it's going to want as much flexibility as possible to be able to assign those rights without being answerable to to a licensee. Um, but as Tom said, um, that situation would be very different if it's just you know a dual relationship with a with an exclusive licensee. I think that would be much more of an appreciation that that's going to be a much bigger deal if if that license was to move on to a completely independent third party.
0: Mm. Of course, it might depend absolutely on the, the relative size and bargaining power of each of the parties as to what will be appropriate and agreed in, in each circumstance. OK, well, that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Uh, thanks very much to the team, to Tom and Tom for joining me and thanks for listening. Please do join us for our next podcast in which we're going to focus on payment, typical structuring of terms, key, some key considerations and what happens when things go wrong. So until next time, thanks very much.